0: Ari Rosemount here with another fun-filled episode of That 401k Podcast. Uh, this one, we're going to talk about how employers can encourage participants to defer more into the 401k plan. And of course, first things first, 41 site.com for further information on all live events. Detroit, May the 3rd. Oakland, before that on April 14th. Trying to book uh, the one for June. September, we'll talk about... Uh, but uh, um, go there. We'll pretty much soon announce a guest for Oakland, I would assume. Um, we're only, you know, nine or ten weeks away from it. So it's a great uh, event in uh, Oakland. We're going to get a chance to go there before the uh, A's move to Las Vegas. And uh, we'll have available tickets. The Oakland A's will play the Mets. Um. That's how it worked out this year, uh, thanks to uh, my uh, scheduler and my son. Uh, Oakland and Detroit will be both games against the Mets. Um, that won't be for every um, venue this year, uh, but we'll see what happens. But uh, go to that4ksite.com for further information. Of course, that4k National Virtual. This episode drops on Friday, which is the second day of the event. Right now, as I record, we have over sixty, 60 some odd people attending. Hope that bumps up a little bit. We'll see what happens, but uh, um, should be should be a great event. But of course, most of it will happen by the time you uh, you know listen to this episode. But talking about deferrals, uh, participants and trying to you know encourage them to defer more. When I was growing up, I lived in a two-family house in Brooklyn, and for some reason or another, my mother decided to make the living room a no-man's land, meaning we only allowed people to walk through it and sit um, when there was a party or an event or we had people over. And it was odd because it wasn't, you know, a two-family house. We had the top. My grandmother, for most of the time that we lived in Canarsie, lived in the bottom. It just never made any sense to me. Uh, I... You know, really don't understand uh, why that was, uh, because things that serve a purpose are meant to be used. Um, you know, this isn't, um, you know, the living room should have been, you know, one of the you know, rooms in Graceland, where it's in a corner because you got tourists walking by and you, you don't want to ruin, uh, gr- you know, these rooms in Graceland, which are supposed to be, you know, at the time when Elvis was still living there, you know, as if he, he's still there. But um, you know, these are the things you have to, to live with and you probably have to talk to talk about in therapy. But, you know, 401k plans aren't you know, shouldn't be like my parents' uh, living room. They are they're, they're they're you know a wonderful employee benefit and they should be used and should be maximized. And I find uh, for the most part, um, in my experiences that employers don't encourage to participate in a 401k plan all they do is you know you know drop these drop the SPD off drop enrollment form off and uh, drop some you know Morningstar profiles and and that's it and they don't care whether you defer or not Uh, my wife uh, just uh, became eligible in her 401k plan she changed jobs this past summer it was a six-month wait and yeah, great playing with fidelity, nice match and all that stuff. But you know, the, it's the employer. You know, typical law firm, very, very ho hum. Maybe, maybe because my wife's an HC, I, I don't know if that's going to throw things off. But employers, especially on the small to medium sized, you know, scale business, uh, they need to encourage people to participate. You know, it's a great employee benefit. Um, you know, when I was an employee once and. Um, you know, we always talk about that. I I think when you look back at it now, um, I changed jobs quite a bit. When I look to some people that we know in the business who have, you know, been at firms for 20 years, I I admire them. Uh, but I realized I couldn't be like them. I, I was probably like a malcontent. Um, you know, nobody knew better than I did. And for the most part, you know, the 401k plans that I was with, uh, you know, I, 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 was, I had a 401k plan with one TPA where they switched us over from a Fidelity platform to an insurance company-based platform just to save the pricing. That's a perfect transaction, but it's a whole nother story. But for the most part, I haven't had the experience of, you know, employers going out and encouraging people to defer. And, and there's a reason. And and again, I think it's because it's an employee benefit. And, and that's why, again, a 401k plan was not a deal breaker for changing jobs, but, you know, if there was a one-year wait, uh, you know, I'd have an issue with it. But, uh, you know, it's it's important to encourage employees to participate in the plan because it's supposed to be an employee benefit. Having them deferring money in the plan will make them acknowledge, you know, that you provided these employees with a benefit and can certainly help in the efforts to retain um, the employees that you value. Um, again, if a company didn't have a four hundred and one k plan in this day and age, um, that's a big knock against them. Uh, and of course, you know, having rank and file employees, which is a, a nice way of saying non highly compensated employees, uh, it you know having them defer is going to help with discrimination testing, and it could help the HCS obviously defer more. Uh, you know, obviously you know, safe harbor plans excluded, safe harbor plans are safe harbor plans, and they don't have to worry about participation. But, you know, there are many reasons, uh, you know, to to have them defer, and and again, and how to encourage deferring. uh, It's it's, it's very hard. It's not easy. Uh, In this day and age, you know, I live in New York. I still contend that somebody making $150,000 in New York isn't highly compensated, but according to the IRS rules, they are. So people under the HC limit, they have a tough time deferring because they can't afford. You know, when you have a high cost of living, you have you know children expenses and whatnot, and kids going to college and all that kind of stuff. Life gets in the way of deferring uh, to the maximum, and that's just you know, and, and that's the unfortunate part. And I always say again that HC definition, it's it's not relevant to New York because again. Uh my my wife makes north of uh, you know, one forty and I don't think we're highly compensated. Uh people of course will, you know, don't understand the high cost of living in New York, but will say, well you are making a mint. We're not. When you're paying real estate taxes of twelve and a half, thirteen thousand dollars a year, um, you're not so rich. Um, but you know, again, how do we encourage people to defer? Obviously automatic enrollment. Um my favorite part of automatic enrollment is the history of it, because uh, when I started the business in 1998, I want to say automatic enrollment came about in 1999 as some sort of uh, was it a revenue ruling or IRS notice or whatever it was. I think it was a revenue ruling. There was a, a business which I believe was a might have been a uh, fast food restaurant. They you know designed the plan, and the IRS approved it. Uh, the problem with negative election, as it was called back then, first of all, I was against it. I thought it was something out of uh, you know the Soviet Union, which shows you about my red baiting. But my biggest problem with it was, you put in three percent of the participants' deferrals, you don't you know, you don't let them invest because they're not investing. It's a negative election, and I think the biggest part of it was the money got parked in a money market account. And, you know, the money market account, even back in the go-go 1990s, didn't earn a lot of interest. We still had, at that point, Greenspan was still, you know, Fed chairman, you know, at that point, rates were still kind of low, kind of low compared to the Volcker days, but that's a whole nother story. And, you know, the the plan sponsors had to do that way because they had no fiduciary protection. Of course, the Pension Protection Act of 2006 um, you know, really um changed the game in my opinion, because it allowed for a QDIA. We could now park the money in a target date fund for a participant or balance fund or whatever it is, and there was for future protection, and that's why it exploded. In proliferation. Now people will say, well, it's a cheap gimmick to goose up deferrals of NHCs. Uh yeah, it's it's a gimmick, but you know, everything is a gimmick. Uh <laughs> you know, uh, the way you look at it, a, a plain loan program is a gimmick. Um, a hardship distribution is a gimmick. It's an option, and it's a, it's a, it's a good option. And, you know, again, um, you know, my opinion, putting a 3 to 7% effective uh, rate uh, of the furrow rate, you know, I, I like auto-escalation. I would start out at 3 uh, build my way up. But, uh I think it's a great effective tool and enticement. You get people involved, automatically enrolled. You get them interested in the 401k plan. They may defer on their own and have increased amounts. And, of course, the funniest part of the Pension Protection Act of 2006, I've said it a million times. Uh, I worked for producing TPA. When the law came out, I sent out an email to the bosses and say we should really should get behind it. I'm still waiting to hear back from the bosses. 16 years later, 17 years later, company's no longer in existence, so I guess I'm not going to hear back from them. But, you know, my f- favorite, fi- favorite fight with Rich Larita, who is the salesperson that I've talked about quite a bit is again, I, I've mentioned it, uh, he got into a little, you know, debate with me and said, "Oh, you know, participants are going to be upset," blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, "Rich, it's 3%. They're not going to even notice it." He says, what do you mean they're not going to notice it? And he was just trying to take a poll of employees where we were working. And the fact is, is that people talk and less people do. And I find about employees, uh, those who complain, uh, there are those who complain and there are those who just, you know, do. And uh, people are very, very passive aggressive and they'll, you know, bitch and moan. About you know every little thing, but when it comes time to uh, you know talk to their bosses, they're you know brown nosing and whatnot. Uh, the biggest complainers um, where I worked at were the biggest you know you know brown nosers as they say. Uh, you know again, I was a malcontent, so I, I spoke my piece, and probably that's why I'm on my own thirteen almost thirteen years later. But, uh, you know, again, that, uh, Rich always said, oh, you know, you know people are going to knock on the HR door complaining, but, and, and really, we've seen um, automatic enrollment really catching on, and it's been, a, it's been a tremendous benefit getting employees to defer and getting them to participate whether they want to or not, um, and I, I think it's a tremendous um, thing that we, we've done in this business, and it's been, a, it's a, in my opinion, it's been a big success. And of course, uh, as we know with the SECURE Act, um, new plans, 2023 plans and 2025 are going to have to automatic, be part of automatic enrollment. Obviously, uh, smaller companies don't have to do it. Governmental employers, I believe, don't have to do it. But uh, those are for new plans and not for existing plans. And of course, how to encourage deferrals. Again, I'm, I'm controversial. Curtailing salary deferral eligibility to less than a year. Uh, I like... You know, in an ideal world, we would have um, no eligibility for referrals. And I think one day we'll get there. I mean, we had that long-time, part-time eligibility. Uh, We're going to get that in 2024. And it's kind of funny because in 2025, that three-year of 500 hours or more is going to go down to two years. So I've actually, I think, you know... Maybe by the time I'm going to retire or whatnot, or even way before then, I think there'll be a day where there will be no eligibility requirements for the deferral component of the plan. It's just, in my opinion, uh, right off the bat, people should start you know, deferring. And I understand that employers have uh, turnover. They're worried about small account balances. But, um, you know, I, I worked at a CPA. Again, I re- always make that joke. um I, I once suggested that the front door should have been a revolving door because we had such turnover. And if you're in a business that has high turnover and it's not a seasonal business, well, maybe the problem isn't um, you know, the deferral eligibility. Maybe the problem is with you if you have such high turnover. Uh, again, a fast food restaurant, yeah, it's different from a TPA. But if you're a TPA and plain contacts for your clients change every six months, um, again, that's on you. And, and again, you, you work at a law firm and, uh, people are in and out and, you know, my wife can attest to it about, you know, law firms, how they're no good. And I think she learned about it 10 years after, uh, I learned about it. You know, there could be huge turnover. And again, if there's a huge turnover, maybe the problem is with you. And, and again, uh, for testing, it's it's having immediate eligibility for deferrals doesn't really hurt because we can still test on the twenty year and one uh, exclusion. And if you have small account balances, we have the cash out will um, five thousand dollars or less. Uh, I think we're increasing it to seventy five hundred bucks as part of Secure 2.0. So you know, people leave, they'll eventually take their money with them. Um, I just think, again, it's a great employee benefit giving immediate eligibility, especially if you're in a, you know, you know, white-collar type business. I think it's a great way to entice people to join you if they have immediate eligibility. And I'm not saying you should have immediate eligibility for uh, contributions because I think that, you know, obviously people should put in the time and whatnot. Next, obviously matching contributions – uh, you know, my wife's excited after working for a couple of firms where she got nothing into her 401k plan. She's going to get a 10% match, you know, with catch-up. Uh, that's a couple of grand. Um, that's nice. She was excited until she found out it was a six-year vesting schedule. But uh, match contributions are obviously a tremendous benefit. It's a great way to encourage people to defer. I'll match you if you defer, and I won't give you anything if you don't. So there's obviously incentives and incentives are a big thing. Uh, Again, I was an employee once and we all like incentives and it would have been nice to get that Christmas bonus once in a while. But again, that's, that's, that's a, that's a whole nother story. But uh, yeah, they can be costly and whatnot, but you know, I think they're a really effective tool if a plan sponsor obviously can afford it. Education investment advice. Um, You know, Obviously, I, I've always said the, the interesting part of participant-directed investments is, you know, there was a big push in the 90s to go fully um, a participant direction. The mutual fund companies wanted it because they wanted more distribution of their investments, so they were pushing it. Obviously, the technology caught up. Daily valuation was a thing. Uh, I don't know if that was a good thing for the business because in my opinion uh who's better at making investment decisions investment professionals or participants and if you say participants you you know I I think that's nonsense you know I direct my own investments I do very very well but uh you know I'm not going to compete against a financial professional who obviously has the experience and has some telltale signs of what to buy and what not to buy. You know, I'm still way underwater on Coinbase. I'm about breaking even on Bitcoin after buying it at such lows. So I'm not I'm not uh, um, the most experienced uh, investor, and, and most participants are less experienced than I am. And so that's why education investment advice goes a long way to helping plant participants. Um, you know defer um, you know I, I think that that encourages them um, you know so much we always say that uh, studies have shown that if you have 75 mutual funds on your investment lineup it's going uh, it's gonna hurt plant participation because participants get overwhelmed and get confused and if they're overwhelmed and confused they're not going to participate and so education investment advice goes a long way towards um, you know encouraging them to be a part of the plan and that's what you want um, and that's what they they should get, and um, you know, I, I just, you know, I I was I was part of that Myerswazi Swazi plan, and I got them to hire an investment advisor. And of course, as as everybody knows the story, I give them a list of recommendations of three or four investment advisors. They don't pick the one I recommend; they pick the one oh, one of the. TPAs recommends, and of course the best part of that story was the guy the guy from the TPA good friend of mine I haven't talked to him in a long time actually great guy Um, and uh, he recommended the advisor and when there was a switch to a TPA the advisor didn't get him the gig, uh, which I think was hilarious, and you know I think it would have been great if I got the advisor, and that could have maybe helped my business, but whatever um, the Hr director at the firm uh, she went into business for herself for one reason or another. She kept on you know ruining the plan, um, you know ten years of uh, not having an advisor to the plan, ten years of just not providing investment education and i i I cleaned up the mess and again, uh, what happened to me? Well, what happened to me is, again, uh, I didn't pick the advisor. And um, anyway, the advisor is considered a very good financial advisor. Um, I don't know if she's still the advisor on the plan. I think someone else has the, has the gig. But, you know, when, when she came on board and giving people investment advice and, and education, I, I think that that you know, really helped the plan out quite a bit, you know, obviously from the days – before I got there, and you had you know ten-year-old funds and no advisor on the plan, so obviously it was a, a big improvement. Last but not least, Secure 2.0, um, Electric Boogaloo, as I call it, because we got a I got a presentation for the National Virtual Conference, and that's what it's called. Next to Secure 2.0. We we have a we had a we have a weird. I don't think it's a weird rule on the 401k plan side, but the contingent benefit rule. We cannot plan sponsors. Uh, cannot condition a benefit other than matching contributions on a person deferring or not deferring into a 401k plan. Came up against that rule quite a bit years ago when I worked at that firm over a union client and what to do with all this money and, um, you know, as part of a union negotiation and, and there was, you know, qualms about that and, we you know, but it had a contingent benefit rule which we could not violate. But outside of that, outside of matching contributions, you can't have a contingent benefit on employees deferring or not deferring into a 401k plan, except Secure 2.0 made a change. It allows a plan sponsor to have uh, a de minimis incentive for people to defer into a 401k plan. That could be a gift card. It could be something else. Um, It can't be New York Jets tickets. Um, It's got to be something very, very small and minor. And I always bring up the Jets tickets because that's a running joke that I have. Um, I think it was, it might've been Marsha Wagner who did a whole thing about, you know, uh, talking to plan providers and be wary of gifts to plan sponsors. And uh, she put out the number, I think 300 bucks. You can't give a gift more than that. And... Years ago, uh, we had a very well-known law firm. It wasn't Marshall Agnes' firm. It was a very, very well-known, large law firm. And they had a new director um, uh, of administration or whatever it was. And I don't know how this came about, but all of a sudden, he wanted New York Jets tickets. And he sent my buddy, who uh, who was administrator of the plant at the time, the list of jets tickets that he wanted, you know, the games, and and our bosses bought those tickets. <laughs> and I think in those days and age, that day and age, it was certainly more than three hundred bucks. But yeah, you can't, you know, you can't use plain assets for it. But you know, a twenty five dollar gift card to Starbucks to buy about two coffees—that's I mean, a, yeah, you know, that might be incentive for people to defer. Or you know, who the heck knows what you could come up with. Uh, maybe somebody at this point is, is going to create a foreign K incentive company, um, and, 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 see what they can, you know, you know, offer, you know, I remember back in those days, I'm old enough to remember when banks prior to the 86, uh, SNL scandal used to give out gifts, you know, a toaster, a set of steak knives and, um, um one of the funniest parts of that story is, you know, she's she's long gone, but my mother-in-law was the assistant bank manager upstate, and uh, needless to say, uh, her closet in her bedroom had some gifts that they never, were never able to give away. So there'd be like, you know, a crock pot. There would be. Um, it was funny those old, you know, people in the audience to show how old you. Those old Mattel games, the handheld games. It was like Mattel football, and I was actually able to sell it on eBay. But yeah, they should should have like a whole whole closet full of all these like you know house gifts that uh, they never gave away at the bank, and so for some reason I she kept them. But yeah, remember the old banks, the toaster, uh, a KitchenAid uh, blender, or whatever it was, and. No, if you opened up an account, that's what they gave you. Thank you. You know all that kind of stuff. Um, so maybe something like that. So maybe somebody's going to start a full one k company and, 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 and you know sell those uh, cheesy items. But a gift card to me, that's the minimum twenty five dollar gift card. Again, at Starbucks buy two coffees or whatever it is. But uh, that might you know get people to defer. Um, anything you can do. And again, what's the purpose of the plan? The purpose of the plan is to retain and engage, you know, employees. You know, retain and recruit. And uh, quite honestly, most plan sponsors just don't do that. So, anyway. I digress here and there. And of course, I do that every week on the 401k podcast. And of course, go to that 401ksite.com for further information on all our live events. And tune in next week to another episode of that 401k podcast. Thanks. Bye.